Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is, no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Well, I have good news and bad news. Eric, Bill Stat, you want should we give the good news or the bad news out first? I'm a big fan of uh, going con and then going to the pro. Okay, the, the bad news. When I sat down here about 10 minutes ago, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 1,508 points, yeah. which is a, a bloodbath. That's the bad news. All right? Uh, but the good news is now 10 minutes later, it's down 1,450 points. So it, it's come back. <laughs> 50 or 60, well, you know, it could have gone <laughs> down on. another 50 or 60 points. No, I'm, okay, I acknowledge it's not the glass is half full versus half empty. Today in the stock market, the glass is three quarters or nine tenths empty, but not completely. So I, I just, we will continue to watch that. What's essentially going on is this is another one of these instances, in my opinion, of kind of like panic selling. The, um, the, there is a, a worry among investors that perhaps the, that the, there will be another spike in coronavirus and it might lead to more shutdowns. That I, I don't see any way that that's going to happen, but that's what's driving a sale. In addition, the, the stock market has been on a very, very large run, upward run over the course of the last several weeks. And I think what's also going on is you, you might see some profit taking, which happens from time to time. But we will continue to keep you posted. But yes, because I am the glass is half full guy. That the stock market was up about 50 points in the last 10 minutes, down from 1,500 for the rest of the morning. But there's only so much you can control. All right. I sent a link to this story. If you follow me on Twitter, it is at Jeff Wagner 620. You you will see it. And again, I hate I was going to say I hate to say I told you so. But every once in a while, I, I enjoy saying I told you so. And this is one where it is now pretty clear that a number of pundits, including me, were right, and that Tony Evers was wrong. Now, you will remember last month when the state Supreme Court struck down the governor's safer-at-home rules, which essentially closed businesses, um, some entirely, some were severely limited. It prevent, prevented you know any sort of large-scale gatherings at all. And if you will remember, after... After that happened, the governor was just immediately out there. He said, this is it's going to be chaos. Um, We're going to have more deaths. It's a sad occasion for the state. Notably, he said, it's going to be the wild, wild west. And there were a number of pundits, including myself, who said, "I, I don't think this is going to happen at all, because unlike the governor, I have faith in in the citizens of Wisconsin. I, I, I do. I think most people, and I say most, not all, most people are, are, are do the right thing. 
And when it came to the shutdowns, I mean, I, I've really drawn a couple conclusions. First of all, I think the massive shutdowns of all these small businesses was a gross overreaction. The, the idea that you force a little jewelry store to close, but at the same time you allow Walmart that sells watches and stuff to stay open, I think that was an overreaction. I, I think instead of looking at what was an essential business, we should have been asking ourselves the question, if does allowing this particular business to stay open, does it significantly contribute to the rise of COVID-19 cases? And, and that that's not our reaction. Our knee-jerk reaction is to shut everything down. And I understand we the people who did it did it in good faith at the time. And I, I think, as it turns out, I think we're going to look back and say it was a gross overreaction, which isn't to say that the ideas of social distancing and stuff aren't, aren't important. As a matter of fact, I, I think people have learned a lot during this. And it's one of the reasons why I believe that after striking down Safer at Home, you weren't going to see a huge spike of cases because I trust you. And again, I understand that there's some people who do irresponsible things, but I but I trust people. And and what I'm seeing is people are maintaining the distance and people aren't in a hurry to rush back and you know gather with 18,000 of their closest friends. But there's an interesting there's a, this is one of the editorials in The Wall Street Journal today. It's not that long. I want to share it with you. And again, I have a link. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Here's the headline. It's the editorial. It's called When Wisconsin's Lockdown Ended. Quote, we're the Wild West. That's what Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers said on May 13th after the state Supreme Court threw out a stay-at-home order issued by his administration. The result, Mr. Evers added, would be chaos during a pandemic. We're going to have more deaths and it's going to be a sad occasion for the state. That isn't what happened at least according to a study published this week by the National Bureau of Economic Research. After some statistical analysis, five academic researchers find no evidence that the sudden lifting of Wisconsin's order impacted social distancing, COVID-19 cases, or COVID-19-related mortality during the two weeks that followed. The authors first looked at smartphone data from May 3rd to May 24th, which shows little change in Wisconsin residents' behavior. Then they crunched the numbers on COVID-19 cases and deaths as tracked by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. These analyses failed to detect any evidence that the Wisconsin Supreme Court order affected COVID-19 health. Why the null result? It isn't that Wisconsin's initial stay-at-home order was ineffective. The authors say the state's action came relatively early during its outbreak cycle and significantly flattened the growth curve. Once the Supreme Court invalidated, five counties put in place extended lockdowns, but accounting for these policies does not change our main finding. So what gives, the editorial asks. The authors suggest that perhaps... Most of Wisconsin's 5.8 million people simply decided to act responsibly of their own accord, which was the point I have been trying to make for the last couple months. Stay-at-home orders might be first enacted during a time when people perceived little risk and knew little about proper protective behavior. But by the time such orders are rescinded, residents have had a chance to adjust. The authors conclude that their results cast doubt on the assertion that reopening states will necessarily cause substantial erosion in the containment of the virus. Restoring the people's right to go to a local garden store or hair salon does not mean that individuals will exercise that right and does not mean that if they do, they will necessarily not do so responsibly. Hear, hear. 
the journal writes. In April, when Georgia Governor Brian Kemp eased his lockdown order, a headline writer at The Atlantic dubbed it an experiment in human sacrifice. By that logic, nobody would leave the house until assured that a coronavirus vaccine with millions of doses was already being distributed. Political leaders need to trust Americans to follow health guidelines and get on with their lives. To which I say amen. Political leaders need to trust Americans to follow health guidelines and then get on with their lives. Yeah, I think that will there be people that behave in irresponsible fashions? Sure. From a COVID-19 COVID coronavirus case, you know, what's been going on over the course of the last couple of weeks with the mass protests, you can argue is is extremely irresponsible. But yet, nevertheless, it's, it's the protest that's out there. Whether or not that is going to lead to a spike in the number of coronavirus cases across the country and in Wisconsin over the course of the next couple of weeks, I don't know. But I was reasonably confident that simply allowing people to go to, I don't know, the, the small jeweler or the hair salon, I was reasonably confident it was not going to lead to a significant spike in COVID-19 cases. The governor was wrong when he suggested that it was going to be the wild, wild west. And you know what? The numbers prove that that is the case. If you want to read the whole editorial, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. When we come back, what the heck is going on in Madison? Stick around. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. As states around the country begin to reopen and Wisconsin gets back to business, what will our workplaces look like and how soon until you should feel comfortable going on that special trip? Please join John McCure this afternoon at 4 o'clock for WTMJ Cares, a special roundtable discussion about workplaces and the travel industry in the age of a pandemic. If you've got a question that you'd like answered during the town hall, there's still time. Please call 414-203-8105 and leave us a message with your question. WTMJ Cares is powered by Watry Industries and Premier Aluminum and sponsored by Freighter to the Medical College of Wisconsin, Town Bank, and the Griffin Automotive Group. All right. Again, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I sent out a link to this story yesterday. It's I, I, I almost don't even know how to describe it because it is so very bizarre. The the left-wing mayor of Madison essentially stood by over the first couple days of the protests and allowed her city to be vandalized. She allowed squad cars to be burned, um, and the, the police backed off for the first couple days. The, the response, the initial weekend, I think, was that the police were overwhelmed. They did not want to engage. There were a staggeringly limited number of arrests that were made. It was really anarchy for the first couple days. It created a, a lot of ill will among a lot of the local police officers who essentially, again, they felt overwhelmed by the, the protesters, and this has nothing to do with, you know, the, the peaceful protests and things of the like. People have a right to protest, but you don't have a right, to, a, a right to loot places. You don't have a right to throw objects at police officers. You don't have a right to commit arson. And it was a very, very difficult situation for police departments all over the country and in Madison in particular. So, all right, and plus you have right now 
in this country, you have this this incredible anti-police sentiment that has been you know bubbling up. And the impression that you would get if you watch a lot of the national newscasts and stuff is that all cops are bad and that all police departments are, are out of control, which isn't to say that there's that there's not problems. Obviously, and then you have situations like what happened two and a half weeks ago in Minneapolis that are absolutely inexcusable and that there needs to be a degree of justice. But now that that conversation is morphing into, oh, the police are awful and these police departments are out of control and we need to defund the police, et cetera, et cetera. So in any event, the the mayor of Madison decides, and and she kind of did this quietly, but but she sends a, a video message to the Madison Police Department. Now, the video message does what I think you could argue a responsible mayor might do. In the message, she thanks the cops for doing their best under trying circumstances. For example, um, as part of her video, she says, this is addressed to the police, it must be absolutely infuriating to stand in heavy gear outside while listening to people constantly insult your chosen profession. It must, you think, it must be frightening to stand and have rocks and other things thrown at you and to have to be in harm's way constantly. Okay, so that that's kind of the tone of the the things that that she says and you know and, and it goes on she talks about how she appreciates you know the the efforts that the officers had taken during the 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 whole situation and you know she so she's like look thanks thanks for doing your best i appreciate what you are doing all right completely and totally appropriate well the news of the video and the video predictably gets out all right and the mayor, instead of saying, I have nothing to apologize for, absolutely. I know that I know that we have work to do in this community, and I, I understand that we have to be open to all different voices, and we have to look if we can do a better job. But instead of simply saying, but you know this stuff I said on my video, I, I, I stand by it. I, I support this because th- those people that were out there, those police officers that were out there having stuff thrown at them and having insults hurled at them and having to try to provide order when you at least have a segment of the protesters who are in on looting and burning and pillaging and that's not all the protesters but you know they're they're trying to maintain order instead of simply saying no oh, I said what I said because I, I wanted to give them an attaboy for doing what they do well now that this has become public the mayor has walked this back she's she's apologized for thanking the city's police officers during their work. She says in an apology she has now posted, she reiterated her commitment to the Black Lives Matter movement, said she failed to center this in her message to the police department. She says, I realize I may have done irreparable harm with my actions. I realize, too, that I may have permanently lost any trust I may have had. So in other words, by thanking the police department for the difficult job, she now feels that she has to walk that back and apologize to the community for thanking the police for doing their job. You can't make this stuff up. Our, our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, number one, 
I think the Madison mayor has nothing to apologize for. I think it would be actually refreshing if we would have more public officials that would come out and express support for their local police departments, the overwhelming majority of which are manned, are, are, are staffed by men and women who are doing their very best on a daily basis in trying circumstances. So number one, it was clearly appropriate, I think, to thank them for for their work in very, very trying times. Secondly, it is nothing short of shameful that she now feels that she has to walk that back because, gee, by thanking some of the cops for doing their job, I might have hurt the feelings or sent mixed messages or whatever to other segments of the community, which apparently are just obsessed with being anti-cop. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Let's look at our text line. Jeff, the last one out of the circus in Madison has to lock everything up. An unreal reaction from the mayor. Jeff, it's absolutely unacceptable, shameful, and appalling. Another text, Jeff, the Madison mayor just exposed herself as a pure panderer with no actual character, no leadership there whatsoever. I, I mean, the amazing thing to me about, well, there's many amazing things, but but first of all, the, the idea that now, if you are the mayor of an area that has been plagued by violence as a result of the protests. And it's not, again, it's not all the protests, but but they had, I mean, it, it was borderline anarchy in Madison for those first couple nights. And so, you know, what does the mayor do? Completely appropriately, she applauds the men and women of the Madison police force for under very, very difficult circumstances for maintaining order. And you don't hear many complaints about the Madison Police Department, like going overboard or anything like that. So she says, hey, thanks. And I'm simplifying this, but thanks for doing the job. I know how hard it was. I appreciate it. Well, word of that gets out. And then she feels, oh, my gosh, I've, I've just damaged. I've damaged my credentials in the community. So now I have to walk that back. And, oh, this is just so terrible. Well, what's terrible is that in America in 2020, apparently mayors of cities can't issue statements in support of the police without fear that, I don't know, they're going to lose the support of the overall community. You know, we we hate to use the term silent majority because that's got Nixonian overtones, but I swear, I think that there is a silent majority of people out there in this country who recognize that the police departments, like so many other institutions, are not perfect, but who also, at their heart, support the police and recognize that without the police officers doing the job they do on a daily basis, we would have a world that none of us want to live in. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, this was inevitable. During the program yesterday, I told you about how the the TV show Cops, which ran for 25 years on Fox And then Fox dropped it, and then about seven years ago, Paramount Network, which used to be Spike TV, one of the cable channels, they picked it up and and were running it. And cops, 
it, during its heyday in the 90s, it drew like 8 million people, like 8 million viewers a week. It, it had dropped off since then. If you weren't familiar with the cop show, everybody hears the theme song like, like Bad Boys, Bad Boys. And it's a quote unquote reality TV show where they follow police officers. It started in Broward County, Florida, but then I know it, it encompassed others as well. And they follow police as they, they make arrests. Uh, a number of people got upset with that over the years because they thought it it glamorized law enforcement and unfairly unfairly gave a picture of some of the people who were committing crimes. As I said on yesterday's program, I really don't have a perspective one way or the other because I didn't watch it. It just wasn't one of the shows I watched. But I do think it's an interesting reflection of the cancel culture that we have now because they have apparently they have a, a whole other new season of cops in the can, but they, they decided Paramount TV canceled it um, in the last couple of days simply because it's too controversial. They, they just don't want the grief. And, and how dare we run a TV show which might show police officers in a in a positive sort of light? A number of people called in and said that they had stopped watching Cops in favor of another reality show called Live PD, which um, air, airs on A&E. And there, there's a new season that I think just started or was scheduled to start. And uh, again, this the, the Live TV, a very, very popular, actually, it's one of their, their most watched programs and it follows police officers in cities around the country in real time. So this this is a very popular TV show. Um, it was due to make a return. They told they pulled the program off the air last Saturday. It was supposed to air. They pulled it off the air and said we don't know about its return. They they announced late yesterday afternoon that they have now canceled Live PD. So here you have and again this isn't a show that I watched, but you have a very very successful television show that lots and lots of people were watching. And and because of the cancel culture, the idea that we, we can't show, you know, one of the we can't show the police in sort of a positive light. We recognize what the sentiment is that's out there under certain part, parts of the country. And so now we're, we're going to cancel the show, despite the fact that lots of people like it and lots of people want to watch it. I just wonder, and again, I don't care whether they air the show or not. And that's a decision that, in this case, A&E gets to make as to whether they want to take the heat that they're going to get from certain segments in the community for airing the show. But I do wonder how far the quote-unquote cancel culture goes. And is this now the, the new norm that, if you run a, a program of any sort um, or you write a book or you write a newspaper column or, or something like that and, and you have stuff in there which I don't know some groups just find that are, are just offensive to them or whatever that, that now you're not going to be able to do it anymore and I guess I find that to be a scary sort of concept as it moves forward but for people who are wondering what about the future of live PD well live PD is not on the air either Okay, let us switch gears. One of the reasons the stock market is in the tank today, down 14, the Dow down 1,473 points as I sit here. One of the reasons is that there is a concern among some investors that we might see a second spike in COVID-19 cases and that that new spike might lead to more shutdowns. In other words, like instead of taking step forward, four steps forward to open up 
restaurants and bars and uh, small town jewelry stores and things like that, that we might have a tendency to, to push backwards and close stuff down across the country. In Wisconsin, and this ties back to you know what I was saying and the the link that I have to the Wall Street Journal's editorial today in in Wisconsin we've been doing pretty well there, there was not a there was not a spike after the safer at home orders were struck down and the numbers are, continue to be relatively positive now I don't know what's going to happen after after we start seeing the effects of these protests where you have hundreds or thousands of people who weren't practicing social distancing engaging in the, these mass gatherings. I don't know what's going to happen as a result of that. But I, I am confident that the numbers suggest that after opening up the state like we did, that did not lead to a spike in COVID-19 cases, which is very, very good. The, the, the Here's the latest numbers, or at least the numbers um, from from yesterday. Uh, again, 285 new cases yesterday. That's out of over 10,000 cases. So it's about 2.8%, which is a, a good, solid, low number. Total during this entire thing, entire ordeal, out of 5.8 million people, 21,500 Wisconsinites and have tested positive. And um, of those that have tested positive, Almost 70% have recovered, like 70% recovered, 671 people have passed away. There are 6,000 active cases, but, you know, the hope is that most of those people, just like most of the the other 70% who caught it, will in fact recover. So in Wisconsin, we we appear people, again, I don't know what the protests are going to do, but people have behaved by and large, in a responsible fashion, you haven't seen a, a spike in the numbers as a result of reopening the states, this state. Now, across the country, that's not necessarily the case. There are, I think, 21 states that as we get, begin the process of opening things up, and a part of this is due to the fact that there's a lot more testing out there, but 21 states have seen an increase in the number of COVID-19 cases, which isn't isn't surprising. I mean, I, I guess it may, the more tests you have, the more cases you're going to have. But one of the concerns and one of the things that's driving the stock market down today is that, you know, some officials, some investors are concerned that we, we might go back. We, we might try to go back a month or a month and a half and try to lock down this country again. So say to all the restaurants that are now opening, say to the small businesses that have been allowed to open, okay, we're, we're going back, you're going to have to close down again. And if, of course, you would do that, that would probably be the end for a lot of these businesses. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I do not believe that we can put the genie back in the bottle. I don't think that whatever we do moving forward, dealing with coronavirus, I don't think we could go to the small luggage stores and the dog groomers and the hair salons and the restaurants. I don't think we can go to them and say, okay, tell you what, we're closing you down again. And it's only essential businesses that are going to be allowed to open. I just don't, number one, I don't think there's a reason to do that. And number two, you want to talk about just devastating these businesses that have been just just clawing, clawing for air as they attempt to, you know, stay above water. Um, that's 
That's a situation where I just don't think we can go back and do that. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We have businesses that are are sinking. Um, Hopefully they will be able to survive. To tell them that they have to close down again, I, I think, would just be unthinkable. Even if there is a spike in COVID-19 cases, can we go back? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a moment. My answer is no. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Long in Milwaukee. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. I'm actually from Appleton. I'm just in Milwaukee for work, but I was just listening to you. And, you know, that is so crazy to if they impose that lockdown again as a small business owner. I own a small restaurant in Appleton and, um, you know, I had uh, I opened up a little bit early uh, against the safer at home and, you know, got some slack for it. But I as a just a, again, a business owner, I, I would not comply with it. I would if that happens here in Wisconsin again. I will willfully not comply with it. How difficult was this for you over the course of the last couple months? I was on the verge of, our business was on the verge of just really closing up the door. I put half of my life savings into this business um, and uh, for the last five years, and we we're just starting to do well when this happened. And if it weren't for the hundreds upon hundreds of people that came from all over the state to support us when we put out a plea that we're going to just open up our dining room floor before the Supreme Court decision came down. If it were uh, for, for all those people coming and supporting our business, we would have potentially had to close our doors because uh, everybody was laid off, and it's extremely difficult. And we're not going to survive again. And uh, you know, I, I didn't I didn't start this business, um, uh, and and you know. To just lay down like that and die without a fight. So if has people it, were has dying, been, I always joke around and. Let me ask: Has it been slow going? I, I, was, I was telling a story yesterday. I was, I was I, actually it's the first time that I've dined in at a restaurant was earlier this week, and I was talking to the owner, and the owner of the business was telling me that it's just e- even being allowed to open. There's just a lot of people who don't feel comfortable going out and sitting in restaurants. So you know, it was just even though even now that they're allowed to open, it, it's it's a tough comeback. And I think the person I was talking to was looking at thinking it's going to be a long haul, figuring, hey, you know, it, it, it's not like all of a sudden. And I've, I've got I'm back to full business again. Um, how has it been for you? We we are very fortunate that we have a loyal customer base built over the last five years. We are now almost at where we were before the lockdown already. Oh. So we're very, very fortunate. I have some colleagues in the industry as well, and they pretty much said exactly the same thing you said, Jeff. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for calling. And, and best, uh, that, that, that's great news. You know, I, I there's a there's a piece in the Wall Street Journal today that really caught my attention because it it, it focuses on the the small businesses. Now, now, Lord knows, a lot of the 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 big national businesses have been driven into bankruptcy or are having to close all sorts of outlets. So that's been going on as well. But it, it's really been a lot of these small businesses that have had this huge impact. And, and I guess I didn't realize this before, but the premise of the story is that that of, of America's small businesses, 40 percent, 40 percent, four out of 10 are owned by people who are 55 or older. 
And so what what happens is for for a lot of these these business people, the, this is the, your your business, your store, your restaurant, whatever. That that's that's where your life savings are, and, and that's that's like where your retirement is and things like that. And so I mean, it, it focuses the story in the Wall Street Journal focuses on the, these people who were planning to. All right, the, the plan was, hey, okay, I built up this business. It's a successful business. I want to hang in here for a couple of years more, and then I want to sell the business, and I'm going to use that money to retire on. All right, that, that's the premise. Well, for pretty much all of those people, good luck with that now because, you know, given everything that's going on, you know, who's going to who's going to run in and buy a restaurant for anything, anything close to what it was worth, say, five, six months ago. So you've got that whole dynamic that's out there. So also a number of these people are faced with this dilemma. They, they've just been absolutely devastated economically by what's happened over the course of the last couple months through no fault of their own. And now they're wrestling with this idea of, gee, OK, to try to build the business back up. We're going to, you know, we're, we're going to have to dip into our personal savings. We're going to have to mortgage our homes, all those things, because, you know, we, we owe rent, all, you know, whatever. To try to build the business back up, we're, we're going to have to dip into personal savings. And then the question is, okay, well, if we do that, what is our time horizon? Plus, look at all the uncertainties that here. Is there really any chance that we're going to ever get that money back? Is that just throwing good money after bad? And, and, and so for a lot of these businesses, they're simply making the decision, we're going to close. I, I know one, two, three businesses that I can think of off the top of my head in a relatively close area to where I live who just they're, they're not opening up again for exactly exactly that situation over the course of the last couple months these are small family run stores and things like that they've accumulated a, a whole bunch of, of debt and to to pay off that that debt and to you know get new inventory in and things like that they'd have to make significant investments and in many cases that means mortgaging your house or cashing out your 401k plans or whatever your, your retirement savings and if you're if you're 58 or 60 years old you're, you're not Maybe you're going to do it, but that's that's a big ask. I guess the point of this is I just don't think there is any way in the world that 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 we can go to these businesses again and say that you, you have to close down. Now, that doesn't mean that. You know, we we can't continue to be proactive, and you just have to let the, this virus, you know, spread. And that's one of the reasons I think, candidly, a lot of people have been smart about it. That's one of the reasons we haven't seen the spike in Wisconsin. I I do wonder seriously whether we're going to see something like that after all the the protests. Now, one of the if you want to say good news is that a lot of the people who are protesting are tend to be younger and therefore not not in those really vulnerable age categories where if you get coronavirus, you're likelier to much more likely to have a bad outcome. Hopefully, the, if, if there is a, a mass spread that's going on, hopefully the, the people who are protesting won't take it home to grandma and grandpa who are over, if they're overweight or have diabetes or, you know, hypertension or things like that. Um, let's look at the text line, but I just don't think there's any way that we can go back. Um, Jeff, uh, we all have employment risks. Why are we picking winners and losers? That would be why are we closing a small jewelry store and allowing Walmart to sell um, watches? Um, Jeff, let's see. Who's going to enforce the new lockdown orders? The police? Um, Sure, now those state governments will rely on the cops again. It seems to be sort of hypocritical. Jeff, we can't close the economy down. Um, 
uh, again, we did have a, a we cannot close the economy down, you know, uh, again. And I guess I just agree completely on that point. Jeff, we can't do the shutdown thing again. We did it once. We can't do it again. The economy is already slowly, um, slowly recovering. Don't do it again. Um, Jeff, listen to the business owners talking about the business metaphorically rolling over and dying when our fellow Americans are literally dying and we have already lost $100,000. Those who put money first have a special place in hell. Okay, so if you're concerned, it's one of our listeners, if you are concerned about, I don't know, your ability to pay your rent, pay your mortgage, make your car payments, put food on the table for your children, you have a special spot in hell because you obviously don't care about people's lives. Now, my point is, is that you, know, we, we, you, you can have both. You, you can care about public safety and you can care about the economy. It's not a binary sort of choice. You, you can work together and you can end up balancing risk. But this idea that we could go back and shut down the economy again and force businesses to close, I see it as a complete and total non-starter. I don't think the American people in general would would tolerate it. I, I just don't. You want to see another form of protest, try to do that. Try to put the genie back in the bottle. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I have a message for the Waukesha County Executive, Paul Farrow, who may very well be the next governor of the state of Wisconsin. My message is simple. It is two words. Save George. Save George. Mr. County Executive, I believe it is in your power to do it. And look at what the heck is going on in Waukesha County. Here is the story. We talked about this months ago, and it is time to revisit it. Now, this is one where if you are a dog lover, you need to be, I believe, outraged by what is going on in Waukesha County. Waukesha County, like many communities around the state, has an ordinance which provides that prohibited dangerous animals can be removed. We all understand the purpose for this. I mean, the idea is that if you have an animal that's prone to attacking animals or humans, you you don't want it in a particular community. So they have a provision that says, okay, if you've got, if there's a dangerous animal, you can have it, it either has to be euthanized or it has to be removed. You have to find another spot for it. Okay, so you're, this is the guy who regularly goes off on like when you see the the pit bull attacks and and things like that and the maulings of little children. Okay, I I understand that. At the same time, I am a dog lover. And it's it's sometimes I just look at the reaction. I say, God save us from bureaucrats. Now, here is the deal. I have have a six-pound Pomeranian, okay? So she's also got the, the best disposition possible. But even if she snapped at you, I mean, she, she wouldn't break skin or anything. All right. This, I want to tell you the story of George the Great Dane, if you haven't heard it. George is a four-and-a-half-year-old Great Dane. George is 120 pounds. Okay, my, my dog is like five or six pounds. This, this is George is a big dog, all right? 
George has been with this family in Waukesha since he was a puppy. Now, he's four and a half years old. The, the, this whole thing goes back to 2018. There were two incidents. In one incident, there is apparently somebody coming up to the door of these people's house. And the, the, the mom, the lady, goes to answer the door. And I don't know if they rang the doorbell or whatever, but, but the dog is kind of like freaking out that somebody's at the door. Anybody who has a dog can know that there's, you know, that, that happens sometimes. They just go kind of nuts when the doorbell rings or there's somebody new coming up to the door. So the mom is trying to like get, get George under control and George nips at her. And George, did I mention he's a 120 pound Great Dane? So George, George nips at her and uh, apparently it, the, the bite, it's, it's not a mauling or anything like that, but it breaks the skin. And ultimately, the lady decides that she needs to go in and get a couple stitches. This isn't, a, it's like I say, it's not a, it's not a mauling. It's, okay, he, he bit me because he was all excited. And so, you know, I, I gotta go get, I gotta go get this taken care of. Now, the family doesn't know who, who alerted Waukesha County authorities. I'm assuming it's the medical people, but I don't know. So anyhow, you have this one situation where, Somebody's coming to the door. The dog gets excited. It's a big Great Dane, and and it ends up inadvertently biting the lady. Not a severe injury, but she needed a couple stitches. All right. Later on, and again, we're back in 2018. What happens is apparently the the lady's niece has just given birth. She's got a newborn, and they're over at at their house, and the the niece is holding the baby in her arms. And George, the dog, big Great Dane, in apparently not in a moment of attack, but I get the idea it's a moment of like playful, kind of like jumps up, right? And inadvertently, I think, inadvertently with his paw, like brushes, brushes against the newborn. And the, there, there's a cut. And so they ultimately, they, they take the baby in and the baby needs like two stitches or something like that. Okay, so those, those are the, the two incidences. One is, the dog is excited because somebody's coming to the door, so the dog, you know, nips at slash bites the, the, the owner, and she ends up getting a couple stitches. The second one is the dog is jumping up when the woman is holding the little baby, and the, the paw slaps at, hits the baby. The baby needs to get a couple stitches. A- and I, I presume, again, that the complaints come from the, the doctors, who, but I don't know for sure, but that's what my, my guess is. So Waukesha goes out, and they look at this, and they say, okay, well, here you have two instances where this dog has caused people to have to go to the hospital to, to get stitches. You know, in the one case, he, you know, swiped at the little baby, and in the other case, you know, he, he bit the, the owner or nipped at the owner or whatever. They say, all right, we, we're not going to have these dogs in Waukesha County, and now you have to either get rid of George you have to, or he will be euthanized. And the family is saying it's a 120 pound Great Dane. It's not like there's a lot of options we have for, for placement because it's such a, a big dog. Moreover, the family is saying, look, this isn't a dangerous dog. This isn't a dog that's attacking people. This is a dog who, in the one case, got excited because the woman, he was just playful. He's, he's jumping up. My dog will jump up on people from time to time. But like I say, she's six pounds. She's not going to cause any sort of damage. This particular situation, because the dog's so big, something just, just happens. So the county says dog's got to go or dog's got to be put down. Family litigates this. They sue. Um, earlier, I believe, this week, Waukesha Judge Ralph Ramirez said, I just I don't have a basis to get involved. 
county says the dog's got to be put down or moved. I'm not going to overturn that order. So where it stands now is unless there is a reversal by the county or unless something changes at a mediation, the, the dog has to be either put down or they have to try to find some other placement thing. Good luck with a 120-pound Great Dane. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I know we have lots of dog lovers in the audience. I know we have dog haters in the audience. I'm just looking at a situation like this, and this is from the perspective of somebody who, uh, again, believes there is a community interest in trying to regulate dangerous, quote-unquote, dangerous dogs. I'm looking at this description, though, and it's hard for me to see how you get to this is a dangerous dog. It's a big dog, all right? The dog paws at you, and, and yeah, and I, I can understand how the, you you know, especially if you're talking about a baby, how, how that might lead to a scratch or something like that. I, I will tell you, if this is the way Waukesha County is going to proceed, I, I think one of the unforeseen or unanticipated consequences is people might be reluctant to seek medical treatment. I mean, the, the, the lady who, who got bit in the first place and needed a couple stitches, my guess if she knew that it was going to lead to efforts to remove her dog or euthanize the dog, uh, she might have rethought her position of even going into the hospital in the first place. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I'm sorry. I just, I think this is an overreaction. I think Waukesha County is wrong. And in this particular case, they're coming after George, but your dog may be next. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Unless there's a lot more to the story, and I don't think there is, the, the idea that that this particular dog, George, needs to be put down, I think, is a gross overreaction by Waukesha County authorities. And this comes from the perspective of somebody who who doesn't believe that you should have dangerous dogs in the community. I'm just saying, a hundred and twenty pound dog that jumps up and scratches somebody. Well, that that that's. That's going to happen when you have a big dog like this. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Chris in Beaver Dam. Chris, you're first. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Chris. So this is this is a kind of near and dear to what happened here. Legislation kind of has to get involved and create a, a subtext to this because we had an eight-month-old golden retriever, you know, the most ferocious dog on the planet. And we were clipping its nails. My wife was holding a pig's ear to distract it. She wasn't paying attention. And he actually inadvertently literally plucked her nail out of the nail bed um, yeah. while he was thought he was gnawing on the – oh, yeah, it was, it was definitely nasty. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to dispute that. Yeah, but, sure. You know, so we went to, the emergency, went to the emergency room, didn't think anything of it. They asked what happened. We explained the story. Next thing we know, there's a police officer there who's got to file a report. Our eight-month-old golden retriever puppy had to be quarantined for 10 days, had to go visit the vet three times in that 10-day period, even though he was all up-to-date on his shots. And he's, our dog is now on a, you get a three-strike in Jefferson County, and then he has to be euthanized or moved, wow. no matter what. Right, and, and again, it's, and, uh, and your dog isn't a bad dog. Your dog isn't a violent dog. It's just this is something that happened, because stuff I mean, happens from time yeah. to time. 
golden retriever is, I think, the most beloved animal, a dog on the planet. And like I said, just literally an accident. So we told all our friends, we're like, hey, if something happens, make up something else. But you're saying, sure, just a nip. That didn't, you know, make up something because if you see your dog get it, you have to go through all the protocol. Uh, thanks for your call. Well, I mean, again, I, and that you, you just wonder if, if that's where, where this type of stuff leads. Because, look, I, I understand. I can give you countless stories about dogs that, for example, have gotten loose and attacked other dogs and things of the like or attacked people. And, and that's that's a completely different sort of story. And, I mean, it's interesting because I, I know cases around where that's happened and the authorities, you know, haven't removed the dogs. I'm saying, okay, this, this dog bit this person, you know, who was walking another dog and things like that. In this case... It sounds like what what you have is just sort of inadvertent exuberance, particularly in the case of okay, the dog is jumping up. Okay, it's a big dog, so maybe maybe I think and this is this happened in 2018. You can probably argue that maybe the dog should have been in another room when the woman was there holding the baby. All right, I I get that. I think that's probably a a fair sort of thing. But at the same time, does that make it a dangerous dog because the dog is just jumping up and in its exuberance, it it in swinging out its paws, it, it happens to catch the newborn and it happens to break the skin. All right, I, I you know, yes, the, the dog should probably not have been around the baby. But first of all, it's not that serious an injury. The families didn't report this. It's not like the family said, oh my gosh, we've got this dangerous dog that's out there. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Tom in Whitewater. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Tom. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Yep, I had a similar experience. You know, I had a German Shepherd for five years. Um, it had food aggression issues. And when my son was born, the, as a toddler, if he crawled too close to the food bowl, um, she would nip at him. And he got a bite on his, you know, forehead. Wasn't much, but he had to have a stitch. And right. after that, the dog was, you know, couldn't be given away. Humane Society wouldn't take it, couldn't do anything. We ended up having to euthanize the dog because, you know, obviously we couldn't deal with that. Right. But then we got another one, had him for 14 years, and trying to get another one, he just passed away two weeks ago. Yeah. And the hoops you got to jump through at these rescues is insane. Yeah, it's, um, no, and thanks for calling. No, and again, and look, and I, I'm not, I'm in no way, shape, or form am I defending dangerous dogs. I, I mean, I, I understand that. And I also believe that, you know, owners have an obligation to, you know, control the dog. I am just saying that, that labeling a, a dog by a community as being a prohibited dangerous dog and saying, hey, you either have to find a place to, you got to get it out of the county. It, it strikes me that you need a lot more than what we have here. And that, that's what I'm saying. I mean, again, do, do you, do you do you say that okay they 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 shouldn't have let the 120 pound dog be jumping up on the lady while she's holding the baby? Well, of course we we all understand that. But the the fact that the dog is jumping up does that make the dog a dangerous dog? I mean dogs dogs jump up. <laughs> okay, that that's just what what happens. And in this particular case, because of the size of the dog, when the dog reaches out, he scratches the baby. All right, I guess euthanizing the dog seems to me to be an extreme situation of this. Jeff, the moral of the story is if you go to the doctor and it's an injury from your pet, do not say that you don't not say it if you don't want your dog considered dangerous. I learned that the hard way when my son got scratched um, in his eye when roughhousing with a young dog.
Well, and look, and I, I would never encourage anybody to lie to the doctors about the causes of injuries or anything like that. But at the same time, if, if again, you have a situation where it's just inadvertent, I'm not faulting the doctors. If they feel they've got to report it under the law, they've got to report it under the law. The question becomes, what do you end up doing, you know, with that? Information. Jeff, this is stupid. Once again, rules are rules, common sense not employed. The dog is still a, a big baby. All right, if if we had evidence that the dog was attacking people, all right, I, I I would have a completely different situation on this. But that's that's not what this is. Let's talk to Jenny in Brookfield. Jenny, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, I'm a big dog person. Um, and I think maybe just because since it is such a large dog and they've had a couple issues, maybe the county should tell them that they need to have a canine good citizenship course and pass it. Right. And if they can't do that, then for the safety of the dog, as well as people coming and going, that maybe then it should be rehomed mm-hmm. if you can't. Yeah, but I mean, when you, you, when you as a big dog, they don't know how to... Right. Well, keep in mind, too, that these incidents happened in 2018. So there, there's been nothing since then. So, I mean, I, I... Well, true, but maybe the court to make the court feel better and happy to understand you do have, con- like, you. Right. it was a puppy at the time and you were still working with it. Like, he is right. now a good canine, good citizen to, like, prove that you've right. done what you need for training with Wait, him. Okay, as, as a large dog owner, see, I don't have this frame of reference because I got a tiny dog, but as a large dog owner, when you hear a story like this, does this strike you as a as a, as a vicious, dangerous sort of dog? No, I just think it's people just, some people don't know how to correct or train a dog a certain way correctly not every dog is the same so maybe they just needed to at the time seek it or that maybe the county needs to tell them that they want to see a canine good citizenship certification proving that you now have control and proper training with it thanks for calling and again and look and and i I understand the whole proper control sort of thing I, i get it but at the same time sometimes you know things think things happen and i guess you have to kind of look at all right is this is okay so the the dog jumps up well okay you you don't you want to try to train jaw, dogs not to jump up but dogs get excited and they jump up this strikes me as being less of a situation of of a bad dangerous dog and more of and you're like you're saying it kind of this exuberant puppy who you know is just excited but because of the dog's size things that would normally happen if you had a a poodle or things that would happen if you had a Jack Russell Terrier or something that might even happen if you had a, a lab or something because it's a 120 pound Great Dane it, it does this and it, it scratches the kid whereas another dog wouldn't I just Paul Farrell save George this is one that just strikes me as being wrong that you were going to try to put this particular dog down. And and if we're going to be aggressive about this, okay, are we equally as aggressive with other dogs who quite candidly think probably in Waukesha have engaged in a lot worse behavior and people have looked the other way? This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So... What is your QR code? I ask this because we all may soon have them. A QR code is something they call a quick response code. And and what this is is you can you can download an app on your smartphone 
and it'll be like like a universal product code. You know those those things that you see in the store, and you, you take you know you, you buy the donuts, and they have the, they you buy the donuts, or you buy the box of cereal, whatever, and they scan that that little code, that little box with all like the the bars and dots and things like that. Well, okay, that that's what it is, except it's for people. And, and this is something that is starting to be used in various countries. For example, you, the way it would work and the way they do this in South Korea right now is as a condition of being able to go out in the world of COVID-19, what happens is you have to have on your cell phone, you have to have one of the, these apps. You have to have a quick response code which is unique to you. The the QR code um, has information. It's got your name. It's got your address. It's got your contact information, all those different types of things, all sorts of personal information. And what you do, let's say you want to go to a bar. What happens is before you can go into the bar, there's a scanner and you have to, it's kind of like an ID check, but there's a scanner. You have to Take your phone and you have to put your, your phone up there and it, the scanner reads your, your code and then it logs it into a system. So they have evidence that you were seven o'clock on a Thursday night. You were at Joe's bar and grill. Now, why, why do they do that? Well, they do it because the idea is if there is an outbreak uh, of COVID-19, let's say somebody at Joe's Bar and Grill, somebody who, for example, is a cook at Joe's Bar and Grill, comes down with coronavirus. What they will be able to do is they have this, and, and it's it's a government database. That's who, like, administers this, this database. They'll be able, that would be government officials, the bureaucrats, will be able to go back and look and say, okay, um, you know, somebody got tested positive for this on, on June 10th. Um, Let's go back and let's, we will be able, with just a couple keystrokes, we will be able to find all the people who entered, who went into Joe's Bar and Grill for, you know, a, a period of time where we think that the person might have been contagious. And then what we can do is we can reach out and we can identify, we can tell that person, hey, you might have been exposed, self-quarantine, get a test, whatever. So it's it's an electronic way administered by the government of, again, this contact tracing. But in South Korea, if you want to go out to places, you have to have one of these and you have to sign in. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, would something like this work in the United States? Would something like this be a good idea for the United States? Do we need to do something like this? Because, I mean, theoretically, almost or a large majority of people have cell phones. I guess for the that small percentage of the population that doesn't have cell phones, maybe you can have government grants or something like that, or you could have the government issue them their own little you know personal uh, QR so that they could have something to scan. But as a condition of being able to go out and about in society, you have to give this give this out. Similarly, if you test positive for COVID-19, what they would be able to do is go back and through use of your, your scanner, they'd be able to tell all the different places that you have been over the course of, they keep the records for a month. All right. 
Is this two 1984 Big Brother, or is this something that makes eminent sense? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a moment. I'll tell you where I come down on this as well. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, a QR code. You need to do this in South Korea to go out and about. It's something that you put on your phone every time you go a place at the at the door. You have to show this phone this this code. It gets scanned. The government then monitors it, and the government knows where you have been. If you get sick. They keep the records, they say, for a month. That's what they say. If you get sick, the government can then go back and they can tell that you were at Joe's Bar and Grill on on Tuesday. And then they compare that with all the other people that were at Joe's Bar and Grill on Tuesday. And they contact them and say, hey, you just so you know, somebody that was at the same place that you were at was exposed to COVID-19. You might want to get yourself tested or go to quarantine. What could go wrong with this? South Korea does it. A number of other countries, New Zealand being one, and uh, Singapore. Singapore considering it as well. Would this work in the U.S.? Let's start with Connie and Portage. Connie, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, I just turned the radio on, and I listened to that, and already the hair on the back of my neck stood up, and I thought, oh, my God, that sounds like something the Nazis would do, you know, to keep track of everybody. I don't like the idea. I'm usually not paranoid, but I do not like this idea at all. Well, let, let me play devil's advocate here, Connie, because we, you know, we want, we, you know, we, we want to be safe in an era of coronavirus. So this would, this would make contact tracing easier. You know, if somebody was at the same gym or grocery store or hair salon that you were at, I mean, we could easily tell and you could easily be notified. I mean, don't. Don't don't you want to know if you might have been inadvertently exposed to this? No, I'll take my chance against something like this. Yeah. <laughs> okay, guy. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Okay, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Lewis on the south side. Lewis, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, I don't think the country's ready for it. I'm ready for it. I'm all for this. Um, like you said, it'll help uh, track and, and trace uh, for the virus and health concerns. But uh, we're also running this problem with the police. Everyone wants, you know, the police to fund this or that. Um, now we have more ways to identify people that are going in and out of bars and different situations. And you don't need police as much then. Uh, this will help identify uh, people and the police can go round them up later. Well, I, I, so I get my, but here's my question. I mean, do you want the go- I mean, do, do you want the government knowing when when you if, if you decide you want to go to, you know, Jeff's gym or you want to go to the, you know, Gru's movie theater or you want to go to Frank's bar, do you think the government really has a right to know that, that that's when you went there? Um, no, they don't have the right. But to be honest, they already know all this stuff is on my phone. They know. Um, I've been tracked ever since I got an iPhone and, and I, I've accepted it. 
there's really nothing I'm really worried about. So, mm, okay. uh, like I said, I'm I'm ready for it, but I get other people won't be. Got it. Thanks for the call. Well, I'm not ready for it. I, and, and, and and again, it's I look at in a, in a perfect world. See, this is one of the things that happens a lot of times when you when you have a, a crisis. And I am in no way, shape, or form downplaying you know the the crisis that we find with the ongoing pandemic. But but it's it's like never let a good crisis go to waste. I I think this is. I mean, this is Big Brother in the extreme. I don't think government, and, and I'm not one of these people who is kind of like way on the far edge of, of you know, the, the, the uber libertarians who don't think that government has a right to, st- to stuff. And yes, I think we have an obligation to pay taxes and, and all those types of things. But, but at the same time, we live in a free society. And one of the elements of living in a free society is we're, we're able to operate without undue government surveillance and and look i understand that this sounds like oh this sounds like some of uh, like a perfect sort of thing oh well the, when, then you know this makes it so easy because it's just all electronic and i also understand lewis's point that that nowadays especially with our cell phones they're able to monitor do you travel outside of your homes or things like that but at the same time th- this is an express and explicit acknowledgement to government that here go go follow me around and and keep track of where i i'm at at any given moment and i just don't think in a free society that that is at this point in time no matter how noble the cause might be i don't think that that's a role of government now now it may be if people want to voluntarily do this you know, and and if a business, for example, wants to say, "Hey, we're going to offer this," if if you've got one of these codes and you want us to, you know, have this information so that we can we can notify you, for example, if something happens at at our property. Well, okay, that that's a different thing. If people want to do this voluntarily, and by the way, my guess is there's going to be a lot of people out there who would, in fact, do this voluntarily. I just. I wouldn't be one of them. Let's talk to Gary in Oconomowoc. Gary, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. I completely agree. This will probably never fly in the United States. But I also think that this is a way for the governments to prepare for another pandemic or outbreak and do some immediate tracking, plus do some tracking of where and how this virus is transmitting. Mm -hmm. But think of this. If you were out at a restaurant, and then you got an email saying that somebody there got infected. What would you do about it? Well, that very interesting question. That's yeah. Let's let's play this out. So let's say, okay, you know, you and I, we we go out. We have we have lunch at a place ten days ago, <laughs> and then we get this email saying, just so you know, somebody who was in that restaurant ten days ago is now tested positive. You're right. What 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 do you do? Do you quarantine yourself do you run and have yourself tested how how what what did, what would the average person do or or should the government then say hey you have to self quarantine I, I yeah what how do you what do you do with that information right you're either going to get the virus or not or you maybe you're asymptomatic you go to the doctor you get the test you're positive maybe you have to self quarantine but I also think it would create a lot of paranoid people out there when they got the email. Even if you weren't in a part of the restaurant where the infected right. person was, chances are you didn't get it. But people right. are going to get paranoid. Right. Yeah. No. Thanks. And and I and and how I mean how detailed is it? If you were, uh, I mean maybe it's another diner that was in the restaurant at at one o'clock in the afternoon, and you were in the restaurant at three o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, right? There there would. 
It would undoubtedly lead to a lot of panic when you get one of these sort of texts, just so you know, you might have been exposed to, you know, COVID-19, even though you're not having symptoms, we encourage you to get tested. I, again, I, I just, I'm less, I'm less bothered with the, the ability of the technology to notify people, I'm more bothered with the idea of the government saying, and that's what they do in South Korea. It's not a voluntary thing. This is the requirement. You want to go out. You want to go to a nightclub. You want to go to a restaurant. You want to go to a store, etc. You've got to have one of these things, and you've got to, again, be scanned so we have your information. It's the mandatory nature of this. Now, again, I, I can see merit maybe people will want this hey i want to be notified about this and if a business wanted to offer this as a business off wanted to offer this as a service um i'm not sure what the business's motivation would be because they don't necessarily want to i'm not sure that oh by the way you know somebody somebody who was here 10 days ago had covid19 you were here 10 days ago from covid might have covid19 I, I think you'd probably be reluctant to go back to that business but that's just me travis in whitefish bay travis you're on wtmj good afternoon Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, I travel a lot. And, uh, you mentioned South Korea. I, I'm there uh, sometimes two or three times a month uh, for a few days for my job. And like you said, one of the deals is if you want to go out, you got to have the, the app, uh, which uh, helps them contact trace. And at my company, this has been an ongoing discussion uh, for a couple of months now. And um, I'll be honest, I, I, uh, forgot to use it the first couple of times and nothing ever happened but uh when when we got the reminder email we we all uh, resumed downloading it and using it and we don't really we don't really hear anything we're just supposed to update uh once a day as a deal with immigration mm-hmm. and because we use the app we're allowed to go out and uh everything's open there nothing is closed right um there are several messages a day regarding the status of many outbreaks that they have and different uh and they do it by a village and, and as a matter of fact uh one of the screening questions when i checked into the hotel last week was have you been to a club in a specific village there lately right um so they're they're being very specific and uh like i told Gru, i'm i'm a private person i don't really want my information getting out there but uh as for this um i'm kind of on the fence i don't really I don't really know if it makes that much of a difference. Yeah, because because then the question becomes again, what what do you do with it? All right, so let let let's ask this. You, you live in Whitefish Bay. If is it, do you live in Whitefish Bay? Is that where you are or where you work? Yes. Okay. Yep. So let's say as as a condition of going to the local movie theater on Silver Spring there, or the the local grocery store, or the coffee shop, or Winkies. Every time you went into one of those places, you you had to show this, register, and then the, the government is notified. All right. Would you would you be in favor of that or not? Would you be willing to do that or not? Uh, it it doesn't make me happy yeah. that I have to do it. Um, it. It definitely concerns me. But in uh, you know using South Korea as an example, they're they're notified when they start looking. Right. So it goes into some database. They're not necessarily looking at it at that moment. Right. But they'll go back and look. Yeah. When as needed. Now the question becomes. What happens to the database? Yeah, 
<laughs> you know, yeah. the, right? No, and I, that's I, where my concern is. No, no, thank no, absolutely, and that's and thanks for the explanation of how it works. So that's, I mean, that's it. Now in South Korea, they say that they they purge the database like every every month. So I mean, it's a rolling thing. So they they keep it for thirty days, and so on that thirty first day, that the first day of the of the month, the information that that data is dropped. If if you kind of believe that, I I just throw this out there because it is it is one of these things that if you think about it, oh God, great, I I'd like to know, you know, boy, have I been somewhere where I've been exposed to this or I might have been exposed to this? Although then the question becomes, what what do you end up doing about it? But at the same time, how much of our privacy are we willing to give up to allow the government to essentially know where you have been on a given day? It's a balancing. You know, for me, I, 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 I'm not that much of a private person, but at the same time, I, I, I don't want to have to sign in every time I go to the hardware store or the hair salon or, or whatever. And if, if the risk of that means that I, I don't get as prompt notification that I might have been exposed to COVID-19, I'm, I'm willing to take that risk. I'm willing to take that risk. Whether other people are or not, I guess, I mean, it does remain to be seen. But it's one of the things that is, in fact, out there. It's how technology is coping with this. All right, coming up in the next hour of the program, we're going to talk about masks in Milwaukee County. We're going to talk about the latest kerfluffle involving the Republicans in the legislature and the governor. We're going to talk about how much cold beer is worth and a lot more. I guarantee you it will be interesting and it will be fun. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, so Melissa Barkley and Gru, you can play along with this too. Father's Day is coming up, right? So, so everybody out there is looking for like great great gift ideas and, and things like that for the, the the father and stuff like that all right so th- this is an idea and my question to you is do you think this is a really cool gift idea or is this god's way of telling you that you have way too much money okay right. so that, that that's where we're going with this now now melissa i know because i got you one that you are a huge fan of the Yeti. Yes. Yet you still have your Yeti. I still use it every single day. Okay, and we and we, we talked about this uh, a long while ago. Yes. And 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 actually, I think it was I was a little bit late to the party, but my I, my son in law he he had some of these Yeti glasses yeah. or something a couple of years and I and I I found them and I just fell in love with them and and for people who don't know they're 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 thermal. I, I, was, they, I mean, what they do is they keep the hot and cold in. I mean, they're like mugs, and you, you've got some tumblers, and some are regular cups. I, I have a Yeti coffee cup that I drink coffee mm-hmm. out of in the oh, morning. Oh, you have more than one. Well, oh, yeah. We oh, have, no. Oh, wait, we have, oh, no. Oh, no. We, have, we well, probably have six or seven. They are yeah. a little pricey. So well, they're very pricey. I just have my one that you gave me, and I have it's to mention tumbler. this. It's a tumbler. Um, I lost the little magnetic thing at the top. It popped off, and it okay. was out in the parking lot, and I had Jane and Debbie looking for the thing. This was a while back, and we found it. Found so. It. All right. <laughs> yeah. so, so I was like, oh, I found it. Now, there, there are other Yeti knockoffs yes. that, that are out there, but as a general rule, they're, they're not the same. They just, they, Correct. I mean, they, they work, but they don't, the, the, the Yeti they're is, not the, is the, the Yeti. The, Yeti is the real thing. Oh, no, at our, at our house, we have, um, 
We have several. We probably have like four or five tumblers. Do you have and the we little probably, baby one, the little uh, ones. No, but them. we have the um, we we have the things that I drink soda out of at night. They're like like twelve ounce, okay, twelve ounce uh, glasses, and then we have the tumblers mm-hmm. and things like that. So anyhow, I'm I'm sold on Yeti. Matter of fact, this isn't this is an aside. I have a friend who the Yeti was originally a a privately held company, and I have a friend who who found out about these years ago and tried to buy the company. He oh, tried, really? tried to buy the company and it didn't work out and they ended up, I think they're going public now or mm-hmm. something and the, the market capitalization has just exploded. Yeah. So it was always like one of the, the, the opportunities, the mixed opportunities. So anyway, we're, we're big fans of Yeti. All right, Father's Day. What does that have to do with Father's Day? Could, because again, you can go buy like a Yeti glass or something. That, that's 20 bucks. That's not the deal. They have Yeti coolers now. Oh, wow. They've come out, they've actually come out with a, a new, a new, Yeti cooler. It's um, it's the it's the V series, mm-hmm. and what it is, it's a fifty-five quart cooler, kitchen grade stainless steel. All right, so it, it's it, it kind of looks like the the Coleman coolers that have been around forever. Okay, so so you, you got this. You got the new Yeti cooler that's out there, vacuum insulated panels form all sides of the V series. It's like a high end commuter cup mug that keeps, you know, your, your coffee hot and your, your soda cold. So what what they do is they they, they did a comparison. The story I'm looking at the Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. They took the Yeti cooler and they took the Coleman cooler. It's been around forever, and they, and they did this comparison. And so they, they put fresca and beer and stuff in it. And what they found is Yeti was always colder. I mean, always colder, sometimes about 20 degrees colder wow. than the you know, Coleman. There's, there's some scientific something behind it. I don't know what it is, but uh-huh. definitely. Okay, the drinks got colder much faster. Um, for ice, what they found is that it lasted way long. They, they said, for example, they filled it with ice. After 32 hours, about 65% of the Yeti's ice remained frozen. Whereas the Coleman had lost almost all That's of it. That's incredible. So, no, it, it's just it, it's just incredible as well. So I mean, in essence, it it's a lot better than the Coleman cooler. As and this is not going to Coleman cooler, but it's it's a lot better mm-hmm. as far as getting stuff cold and keep it cold. Okay, so what's catch? You might ask if you're going to go buy something for Dad for Father's Day, the comparable Coleman cooler, say that three times, goes for about a hundred bucks. The Yeti V series goes for eight hundred bucks. Oh, what? Eight hundred? Eight hundred bucks. Oh, wow! Now, apparently, it's <sighs> it's just a kick butt cooler. Well, that took the it, but it goes for eight hundred bucks. Excitement! I was really excited about it, but that's a lot of money. Okay, so here, here. Well, the man in your life isn't worth eight hundred dollars. <laughs> I think he would kill me if I spent eight hundred dollars on a cooler. Okay. What are you doing? <laughs> okay, so I ask you the I ask you the question. Yeah. You, can, you can get a perfectly serviceable Coleman cooler for a hundred bucks. The you've got the the Yeti thing. It, it's eight hundred. Is is that money well worth it for a gift, or is that God's way of telling you you have too much money? Well, I think it depends on. If yeah, if you have the money and you're really and you you're gonna use it, yes, buy it. For me, I think that would be a little bit as as much as I love Yeti. That's a little bit too pricey for me. Group, yeah. I mean, if I'm not in Hawaii or Aruba or the Sahara Desert, I do not need ice to 
continue to be ice <laughs> for 32 for, for, hours, for 36 <laughs> hours, whatever it is. I mean, it's, yeah. like, it's like a braggable item that you would have. I have this Yeti cooler that keeps things cold. You know what I mean? Right. I don't know if it would be practical, though. Well, it, I mean, it'd be very practical. It's, the question is whether it's worth 800 bucks or not. So your your vote, Gru, is that's God's way of telling you you have too much money, huh? I got a cheap one. I can fill it up with ice <laughs> and whatever stuff, and I can drive six hours, and it'll still be frozen. I'm fine. Eric from Random Lake sends me a text and says, you can buy a lot of ice for $800. <laughs> I know. Um, there, there, is, there is that point. Yeah, I guess I... I I love the Yeti products. I, I guess I'm with you, but I, I read the Yeti, love the Yeti products, mm-hmm. and, and they do have other lower, I quote-unquote, lower-end Yeti coolers that you can get for like 300 bucks or something like that. But this is like the new, this is the new brand new thing with all the bells and whistles. I would do the 300 one. You would do, you'd say. I, I would, 300 isn't bad if it was like a, a birthday gift or something that, you know, was a, was a, a gift uh-huh. that you were giving like a couple times a year. I, I could do right, the 300. Because right, yeah. they've had, they, there's older models that you could get for yes, like 300. I but would this do is, that. this is the, this is that brand spanking new, fresh out of the, the factory. Yes. 800 bucks, too much <laughs> for a cooler. Yes. Yeah, I don't, um, I, what do I you think? Uh, there's no way. If if there's no way, I would drop eight hundred bucks on a. Cooler. I was going to say that's it not just, a Jeff Wagner thing. You no, wouldn't. That's too much. No. Well, there's, right. There's there just there's just no way I would drop eight hundred dollars on a cooler. Yeah. I wouldn't get the I wouldn't get the enjoyment out of it. And I mean, it's it, it's like, do I like nice things? Absolutely. Do I am I willing to pay for nice things? It is. But I think about even if I used a cooler a lot, and we don't. I mean, maybe in a given summer, I'm going to use a cooler a half dozen times right. to begin with. I, but. But there's just at some level, even if you can afford it, at some level there's something that j- this this bell and whistle that just goes off. It says no. Hey, Do no. I really need an eight hundred dollar cooler? Well, well, nobody needs yeah. an eight hundred dollar um. Commu- you know, I'll, I'll tell you, it's sort of like I'm going to get in trouble when I say this, but it's sort of like watches. Uh, I mean, there I. I wear, I still wear watches and mm-hmm. stuff. And matter of fact, for my birthday, Fran got me a very, very nice watch. But, but I, I don't understand. I don't understand the people that spend thousands and thousands of dollars on on watches. And it, it's, I'm not, I'm not knocking it. Like or a Rolex. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not knocking it. If people have it, that that's great. But it's just at the end of the day, it, it's what do I do? I do I like a nice watch? Yes, and I, I got a nice watch. But if I found out that somebody had dropped three or four thousand dollars on a a watch for me, I'd go, what? <laughs> no, it's just because even if you can afford it, it's just, I don't, I wouldn't feel right. I also, I'd be, also, I'd be afraid to wear the thing because I'd be afraid I'd bang it or something and crack the face or yeah, something no, like that. Yeah, no, I agree with that. There, so. there are certain things I, I would spend money on. I would spend a lot of money on, you know, a new car, depending on oh, yeah. what kind of, or, you know, I'm kind of a partial, I like glasses, like facial, gla- like uh-huh. eyeglasses. I'll spend more on frames because I'm wearing that every day. So if it's $500, then I'll, I'll spend it if I really like it. Um, I, I, yeah. I was talking about this with somebody the other day. I, I feel the same way about like suits. Mm-hmm. Early on when I was practicing law, and I didn't have any money, and just starting out, I, I bought cheap suits, and you know, just to, to get suits. And I, I learned early on that I, I never liked cheap suits. First of all, they never fit right. Secondly, they didn't feel right. And third, they, they would wear out. So I mean, early on in my career, even though I couldn't really afford it, I would rather have one good suit than three yes. cheap suits. And it, it's interesting because I, I mean, there, there's suits that I bought 20 years ago that I still have. They're mm-hmm. they're they're you know they're they're basically I mean style they're they're fine well, they're classic can, right they're, yeah. right they're they're classic they don't go out of style and so the only question is do you outgrow them or or, or not but 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 it's because you spent money up front that's just 
and now some people might say, no, go go buy eight suits and you're better right. off and then just replace them. And, but I'm like that. So you're with eyeglasses. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so if you're looking for a gift for dad and you've, you've really got more money than you know what to do with, there are there is that new Yeti cooler for 800 bucks. I think the consensus here on the Wagner program is groom Melissa and yours truly. We're going to pass on that. We're going to pass <laughs> yes. on that. Right. Um, back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Uh, that didn't take long. During the break, three separate texts from people saying, we have Rolex watches. We love them. Uh, here's one. I bought a Rolex watch in 1983 at two grand. I've worn it every day since. I, look, if if you like it, that that's fine. I was just saying, for me personally, dropping several thousand dollars, even if I had several thousand dollars to drop on something, dropping it on a, a watch, I, I would have a tough time justifying this. I have... I, I've got a couple cheap watches that have very, very senti- a lot of sentimental value that I wear all the time, and my wife just gave me a very nice watch. But if she paid two, th- I know what she paid for it. If she paid two thousand dollars for it, well, you, it, it would be coming from somebody other than my wife, because there's no way my wife would have dropped two grand on it, and I certainly support that. All right, this is a story that that indicates how you can be right and wrong all at the same time. And it comes from the city of Milwaukee. Here, here is the deal. We were originally scheduled, of course, to have the Democratic National Convention here as a full-blown event. Now, I don't know... I don't know what the convention is going to look like. I mean, they, they keep saying, well, there is going to be some sort of convention in Milwaukee. But, I mean, l- let's face it, it. It's certainly not going to be something, if it occurs at all, it's not going to be something that has 50,000 people here. You might have a handful of bigwigs in the Democratic Party that are here, and, and maybe Joe Biden will be here, and they'll be, and, and maybe the vice presidential nominee will be here, and they formally accept it. But it's not going to be a traditional convention. That That's just the reality. You're not going to have tens of thousands of people pouring in and staying in hotels because of coronavirus. That That's just kind of the reality about this. Well, when we thought the convention was going to be more like a typical convention, the Milwaukee Police Department um, made a request saying, hey, we, we want to buy stuff in anticipation of the convention that is going to help us with with crowd control issues. And apparently there's like federal grants out there that allow them to um, buy a a whole bunch of of stuff. And and what the things they're looking at buying is, uh, again, it's stuff like, well, it's, it's gas mask equipment, tactical gas delivery system, aerosol projectors for irritants, all the different things. I mean, it, it's it's tear gas and the stuff that you shoot that off and, and then some other fancy stuff around it. And and they applied for this like months ago because they said, hey, you know, we th- this is typical. We're going to be having this huge crowd, maybe 50,000 people. We, we know that from time to time these political conventions bring protests, and this is a typical sort of, of thing. So they put in this request. Well, the request was shot down yesterday by the by the Common Council, and it was shot down. Well, for example, Alderman Nick Kovac he he apparently goes off on on this tirade 
about the, you know, Milwaukee Police Department. And he says, well, you know, something to the extent of, he said, you know, his, the, the, he's concerned about the city purchasing stuff based on the quote unquote obvious misuse of tear gas on protesters recently. And then you've got a number of the, the nodding heads of the members of the Common Council. Yeah, why, why should we be letting the Milwaukee Police Department, you know, buy, buy tear gas given their, their obvious misuse of it? No, we're, we're going to crack down on this. Well, this is an example of how you can be right and wrong at the same time. In my opinion, for what it's worth, I don't think you need this stuff because the idea was that you're going to buy these things specifically for the, the convention. You're concerned that there's going to be 50,000 people. You're concerned that there's going to be protests. So you need to have these various things in, in order to, to deal with the large crowds that you're anticipating. All right. Those crowds aren't coming. Therefore, the need for this. Now, I admit it, maybe you could use it on other occasions and stuff like that. But if the purpose for making the purchase was the Democratic National Convention, the fact that the Democratic National Convention is not going to be here in the, the way you anticipated says you, you don't need to make the purchase. It's sort of like if you run a restaurant and you, there, there's a party booked, you've you got a wedding booked for prime rib for 350 people on a Saturday night. And so you, you've already, you've, you put in the order a couple months in advance, and then you find out that the wedding is off, the, the bride has run away with somebody else, and the wedding's not going to occur. Well, you're not going to go ahead with the order for 350 prime ribs for that Saturday night if you can, if you can cancel it. So you, you, you don't need it anymore. You, you made the order, it was in good faith, but you, you don't need it anymore. That's the same thing that I think you see going on here. They ordered all this stuff in anticipation of a of a large gathering with the potential for the need for crowd control and things like that. That's not going to happen. And again, what, whatever the Democratic National Convention looks like in Milwaukee, it's not going to look like what anybody anticipated for. And you're not going to have 50,000 people that you're going to have to try to keep under control. That's just not going to occur. So it would seem to me, just like the restaurateur who doesn't need the prime rib, you don't need all this stuff. At least you, the, the original purpose for buying it is no longer valid. So if there's some other reason and justification, you offer it. But I, I don't think that's it. That's what they wanted for the convention. What what frosts me, and so I, I think actually, based on what I know, the Common Council made the right decision by saying we're, we're not going to go ahead with these purchases because situations have changed, and so we, we don't need it. Now, where they're wrong is that they go off on this, this again, this anti-police riff about, oh, you know, obvious misuse of tear gas. Well, I don't think there was an obvious misuse of, of tear gas a, at all. I think the Milwaukee Police Department has done, as a general rule, just like the vast majority, as a general rule, the protesters have been peaceful and well-behaved as a general rule. I think as a general rule, the Milwaukee Police Department, the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Department, and, and other people that they've had assisting from suburban police departments, I think that they have done an outstanding job of maintaining order, keeping the crowds under control. And I think as a general rule, they have done it with a remarkable use of restraint. So it's it's not... If they don't go ahead with this purchase of tear gas, it, it's not because shouldn't be because they've misused their their powers and their authorities. It's just simply because they don't need it anymore because the Democrats aren't coming in the large numbers we thought they would.
period. This is Jeff Wagner.